Hello everybody and welcome to another edition of Simplifying the Sod. Uh, this uh, short class is not much Sod, but it's an important lesson on Hakarat HaTov. I was uh, thinking about the subject going through my notes and I found something I wrote five or six years ago. And I called it a silver lining in an ugly cloud. And at the time, we had come to Israel for an extended weekend to visit our daughter Michaela and son-in-law Daniel, and our son Moses, who was in Israel for his year in yeshiva. And Yerushalayim seemed like the perfect choice for yeshiva week, and from the crowds, it looked like the entire community had the same idea. I heard from friends that year that uh, Aruba was significantly less crowded than in previous years. Why? Does that, do any of you remember what happened five years ago? So my son Jonah at the time related a story that he had heard from Rav Duvi Ben Susan on LearnTorah.com. And he repeated uh, what the, the Gemara and the Midrash relate. And this is a story that happened following the conquering of Yerushalayim. Titus, Titus, he boasted that he defeated Hashem within his own house. And he went on to say that Hashem lacked the power to prevent Titus from doing anything he desired. So Titus, the emperor, returns to Rome with the pillage from the Bet HaMikdash. And he continues to brag of his greatness, seeing himself as king of the world in his own glory. And as he celebrates with drink, Hashem sends a mosquito into Titus. And this mosquito settles into his brain. The smallest of creatures begins to drive Titus mad. Well, this year Hashem sent a different mosquito, and I heard that hundreds and hundreds of families had canceled their Aruba vacations, and they all came to Israel for the week. That mosquito was called Zika. It's interesting I don't know, given we've been living with COVID the past two years, do we even remember Zika? And I remember at the time I said that Yerushalayim was amazing. There were a dozen kids who celebrated their bar mitzvah on Thursday and probably a dozen more the following Monday and then again Thursday. When I prayed that Shabbat in the Adir synagogue, there were three boys who went up to the Torah, the hotel Minyanim were overflowing, in the Citadel, the King David, the Waldorf, even the Enbal, which had a chesed trip from Flatbush, had so many, so many people. It was like the entire community descended upon Yerushalayim or went up to Yerushalayim. On Thursday night of that week, in the midst of all the joy, there was a dark cloud. But in Yerushalayim, even dark clouds have silver linings. Let me tell you the story. We were coming back from a very late bite at a restaurant in Machane Yehuda. And we were walking along Yafo, down Yafo. That's the, the road where the light rail passes. And we crossed King George and bumped into a dear friend, Rabbi Y. This rabbi, he's a brilliant rabbi. I love him dearly. He learned with my son Jonah when, my, when he was at Yeshar Yashuv. He taught my son Jonah. And uh, Rabbi Y is an amazing teacher, a person, he's filled with chen, he's loved by his students, everyone he meets. He had come to Israel with his 13-year-old cousin, his 13-year-old son, 
sorry, and he was walking with his aunt and his cousin. His cousin, an American who had come to Israel and joined the army, was wearing his uniform. He was also working on his observance. He had a kippah on his head, he had a short beard. And they told us that they planned a little outing to go into Me'a Sharim on Thursday night. They would have some chulid, some kugel, and they would hopefully find a minyan to pray Arbi, to pray Marav. But the locals in the religious neighborhood were not very inviting. In fact, seeing a bearded man with a kippah and uniform enraged them. And they were suddenly transformed into the residence of Sodom, yelling at the rabbi, his child, his aunt, his cousin, and then pelting them as well. Rabbi Wise said he was close to tears as he watched his son experience such hatred from fellow Jews and feared what this would, would do to his cousin's road to Torah. Such an event can turn anybody off for life. How those who supposedly represent the Haredim, we translate those as those who tremble before God, how could they stoop to such terrible behavior? They're living in a country where these boys literally put their life at risk for them every day. Where was the Hakaratatov? The Hebrew term for gratitude is Hakaratatov, which means literally recognizing the good and appreciating what others have done for you. How far is a Jew required to give Hakarat HaTov? Our name, we're called Jews. What are Jews? Yehudim. Yehudim comes from Yehuda, comes from the word Hoda'ah, or Modeh. It's when Yehuda is born, his mother says, now I have to think. This word Modeh translates as both admit and thank you. To truly appreciate, one needs to admit that they lack something which another provided for which they can then give thanks. We read in this week's portion that when the first plague of blood was to strike Mitzrayim, <coughs> Egypt, Hashem says to Moshe, Tell Aharon to take your staff and stretch out your hand, that they, the waters, may become blood. And the rabbis ask, why is Aaron the intermediary? And the rabbis explain that Moshe owed the waters an everlasting expression of Hakaratatov. Why? Because the river had protected Moshe Rabbeinu when his mother laid his basket at the river's edge. Therefore, it was not smitten by him, neither at the plague of blood, nor at that of frogs. That explains why it was Aaron who carried out the first two plagues. Strangely enough, we see the same with the plague of lice, or kinim, the third plague. The Midrash recalls Moshe Rabbeinu before fleeing Egypt in his youth, killing the Egyptian who was beating a Jewish slave. At the time, what did Moses do? He hid the body within the sand. Hashem said to Moshe, The sand that protected you when you struck the Egyptian could not be struck by you. Imagine, Hakarat HaTov is an obligation on the beneficiary for no other reason than he benefited. If Moshe was seemingly required to show appreciation to an inanimate object like water or sand, how much more so is this required when the giver is a person? I wondered, who taught these guys? When one ponders this trait, these people regularly show one must tremble in fear for what this truly means. We read last week, a new king 
arose over Egypt who did not know of Yosef. Our rabbis ask, can it be possible that he did not know of Yosef? Even if he were a new king, did he not have some basic knowledge of Egyptian history? Remember, if they were there for 210 years, Yaakov died after 17, Yosef is king another 55 years. That altogether is 73 years. 73, and we say the hard slavery began 80 years before they left. That's 153. That means the difference is less than 60 years after the death of of Yosef when the harsh slavery begins. So if that's the case, how could it be possible for them not to remember Yosef? And the rabbis tell us, no, it wasn't that day. What the Torah wants us to know is that this new king knew, obviously, who Joseph was. But he did not want to know who Joseph was. He lacked Hakarat HaTov for all that Joseph had done for the Egyptian people. Chazal comment, today he does not know Joseph. Tomorrow he is destined to say, I do not know Hashem. This means that one who lacks Hakarat HaTov for his fellow human being will eventually deny the good Hashem has done for him. On Friday night, we were able to pray at the Isa Beracha Synagogue in Jabotinsky, where Rav Ovadia Zecher Sadiq Livracha would give his Saturday night classes broadcast throughout the world. The rabbi of the synagogue explained that the quality of Hakarat HaTov is the character trait which chiefly defines the greatest sages of Israel. He recalled that Chacham Vadia who never wasted time and weighed each moment of his daily schedule, honored him and his wife in joining them for their engagement party, their wedding ceremony, and remaining at the party through the Sheva Berachot. This was highly unusual. Why? Rav Avadya had asked this rabbi to proofread some of his works as he wrote them. The rabbi told us that anyone would have jumped at the opportunity. Anyone would have jumped at the honor to participate in Chacham Avadya's publications. Still, Chacham Avadiyah showed tremendous hakarat hatov and appreciation. We could literally write a book with a hundred stories off the top of our heads with examples of hakarat hatov from our great rabbis. We can quote the Torah, the Gemara, the Dishonim, all the way to today. I wondered, did those people pelting in Me'asharim, did they miss those stories? Did they learn anything during the hours in the Bet Midrash? Is anything they learned even worth the time spent? spent studying. It was very, very, very upsetting night. But then, I promised you a silver lining, and we saw. And although it wasn't found in Me'ashadim, it was found along the side of a train stop, and then down an alley, by a bar. Rabbi Y told us that after getting chased from Me'ashadim, they were on their way to the Kotel, the western wall. They were hoping to find a late minyan. We were ready to join them, but at that hour, we weren't excited about the 25-minute journey through the old city. Then we're going to pray at the wall and then walk back in the middle of the night and to just go back again for Vatikin in the morning. But we realized that Rabbi Y, his son, his cousin, Moses, me, we were already five. We were half a minyan. And then Moses saw a friend who agreed to join us. That made six. We saw a young Chabadnik who suggested we walk down to the end of the next alley towards a Chabad house where there might be a straggler or two. By the time we made it halfway down the alley, we gathered first three, then four, making ten, and a few others came to join. 
we sort of represented the spectrum of Jews, army guys, Hezder guys, Haredi guys, Brooklyn boys, Australians, Europeans. And then what was amazing was even though the bar was playing music, a few of the patrons came out and said, oh, you're praying Mariv? We're coming to pray our beat with you. And it was funny because some of them were in various levels of sobriety. The 13-year-old who was shocked a few minutes before from the behavior of one Jew towards another now saw Jews from strikingly different backgrounds coming together in unison and unity. You need to try to picture this ragtag group as the clock struck midnight in front of a bar in the middle of an alley with the music playing. Black hats, baseball hats, army caps, crochet-knit Nachman caps, and plain old yarmulkes all together. The cousin in the army made new friends in the alley that night, guys who had been through what he was going through and who promised to be there for him in the future. And we were all very moved by the experience. I don't know if Rabbi Y ever found the chulent and the kugel he was looking for that night, but we all did find some very powerful spiritual food and an experience we will always remember. And for that, I have Hakarata Tov for putting us there and then at that hour for Hashem helping us to see the silver lining. Thank you, Hashem. That's a beautiful lesson from this week's parasha. I hope we can take it and share it and live it. Shavua Tov, everybody. Salat Hashem will post another podcast in the morning.